Here's your warm-up. Tell the person next to you, tell the person next to you, what would your reaction be if you heard the following? Now, I'm not going to read it, so you need to read it, okay? If you can see. All right, if you hear that, what would your reaction be? All right, tell the person next to you. All right. I didn't want to read that because my tone would give it away, right? Because my tone would tell you probably a whole lot about this. Do you understand these words? There is a dog in the room. Is there a word you don't understand? No, you get it. But do you really know what that means? Not really. If it's Christmas morning and there's a little kid who's been begging for a dog all year and they have come into the living room and you smile at the little kid and you point to the room next door and you say, there is a dog in the room. What does that mean? That means, yeah, my gift is next door, what I've always wanted. This is a promise. This is happiness. This is joy. If you come home and you are walking in your living room or whatever, and suddenly you swing around and there is an intruder in your house. All right. And he looks like he's armed. And you back to your garage door that you have there, you put your, door, your, hand, your hand on the door handle and you shout at the intruder. You say, there's a dog in the room. What is it? It's a threat. You're threatening them because you're scared. Okay? You're threatening. It's like, don't take a step closer because this, what we assume, is a very lethal dog in here. I'm about to let it out. All right? So it could be a promise. It could be a threat. It depends on context, context, context. Ella White wrote 100,000 manuscript pages. There's a whole lot more than your Bible, many times over. Take something out of context. You can make it mean whatever you like. Okay, context. Now, we do a lot about how to read the Bible, but we do very little about how to read Ellen White. We say, go read Ellen White. She wrote English, go for it. And we are expecting our youth, we're expecting our teens, we're expecting our new church members to just read Ellen White. Okay, we need to use the same hermeneutical principles that we use for Bible reading. Why? Why? Same inspiration. So we're going to use the same tools. We're going to use the same tools. Let's just briefly look over what the biblical hermeneutic cycle looks like. All right? Looks like an onion. Looks like an onion. You have in the middle words. You need to understand what the word means, right? You need to understand what the word means. Okay? If you're learning a new language, you will often hear a word and you actually have to look the word up because you, you don't know what it means. Just because Ellen White wrote in English doesn't mean that we now know all the words. She writes about Jesus having intercourse with everyone he met. Okay, yes. It doesn't mean the same thing. 
That word has changed dramatically. She says Christians should be gay. All right? It doesn't mean the same thing. So we can't assume that we know what words mean. All right? So we need to be careful. So you need to know the word. You need to look, and if we go back to the Bible or to Ellen White, the phrase, in other words, the context above and below. Look at the bigger unit. I mean, what is being written about here? What's the argument being made? We need to look at the book in the case of the Bible. Is this prophetic? You don't read Revelation and Mark in the same way, right? They're two very different styles. You do not read Ellen White's sermons and her letters the same way. They are different styles written to a different audience. And in the biblical context, you look at the overall theme of the Bible, which is what? Redemption, salvation. I would venture to say it's the great controversy thing. And you'll find the exact same theme in Ellen White. That is why she writes. That is the overriding theme of all of her books on education, on health, on you name it. The overriding theme is the great controversy theme. All right, very practically, looking at Ellen White then, what are the key words in the text? Do I, look at the key words. Let's make sure that we're talking about the same thing. If she's talking about cheese, let's make sure that what I think of when I say cheese is the same thing that she said when she said cheese. Okay? Just for instance. Let's make sure that we are comparing apples with apples and not apples with pears. All right? So make sure we understand what the key words are. Make sure we understand the immediate context. Who's she writing to? Why is she writing? What's the problem over here? Now, this one is very interesting. You will find in all of Ellen White's writings that she enhances on a biblical principle. If you find the principle, you can make the application. Now, sometimes the principle is very, the biblical principle is very obvious, and you will find it quickly. Sometimes it's, you're going to have to do a bit of digging, and that's exciting. It's detective work. It's exciting. But when you find that biblical principle, you'll be ready to make the application over here. So that's a really key point. Jesus does the same thing. This is what all the prophets do in the New Testament. They enhance on the biblical principles of the Old Testament. Prophets enhance on each other. They pull out the principles. They contextualize them in a modern setting. Jesus, Jesus takes talking about adultery. Jesus takes the Old Testament ruling about not committing adultery and he magnifies it. He doesn't do away with it. He magnifies it. He says, that's what the Old Testament says. That's the ruling. But now let me tell you about an application. If you even look at a woman in lust, you have committed adultery. Takes the Old Testament, puts it in context of a New Testament situation. Ellen White does the exact same thing. So this is an important, I can't overstress this, this is your key to unlocking Ellen White. And for me, when I discovered this, it became a real exciting adventure. Mm -hmm. Very. 
only after we found that are we ready to make an application. As Adventists, we're often in a big hurry. We read the text and make the application and skip all the steps in between. And we can land ourselves in very interesting water when we do that. Okay. Some problem-solving uh, strategies when we come to a hard text. Now, I hope you're taking note because we're going to do a practice here. All right. Read the sources for yourself and don't depend on what other people say. You will hear the weirdest things that Ellen White has said. Check them out. There's no excuse today. There's no excuse today. EGWWritings.org. Type in what you heard and see what comes up. Okay, everything she ever wrote is available for you for free online. You can check it out, no problem. So make sure she really said it. By the way, we're working on a game for, for young adults. It's called Ellen White Says. And you get a biblical, uh, you get an Ellen White quote, and you've got to decide whether she really said it or not. And it's very interesting. I learned so much while we were working on that game. We've tested this on, on quite a few pastors, and it's very entertaining. Okay. Collect all the information. We do the same thing when we read the Bible. We do not form a doctrine around one Bible verse. We take all the verses that mention that topic, and we compare them. We look at their context, etc., before we make an application. Do the same thing with Ellen White. Don't pull out just one statement from somewhere. Study the context and remember the big picture, the great controversy theme. How does the subject tie into the great controversy theme? I'm skipping questions at the moment. If, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll hopefully we can still take a few here. Okay, an interesting quote. If you think Ellen White is only misused today, she was already misused in her own lifetime. In 1868, James writes about her he says what she may say to urge the tardy is taken by the prompt to urge them over the mark and what she may say to caution the prompt zealous incautious ones is taken by the tardy as an excuse to remain too far behind so finding that middle ground was a problem already back then see, do I have time? Do I have time? Do I have time? Okay, very quickly, I'll tell you a story. In her time, there was a, a coal porter. You say coal porter or canvasser here? Coal porter. A coal porter who was coal portering back then. And um, he, of course, back then, there was no hotels, motels, anything else. You walked all over with this heavy load of books on your back. And you were dependent for accommodation on whatever farm you landed on that night. You asked the people if you could stay, and sometimes they were nice enough to let you sleep in the barn. Sometimes they actually invited you in. Normal hospitality around here in the U.S. was that they would invite you to, to supper. So you ate whatever you ate, right? There was no options over here. So this young man was very, very uh, conscientious reader of Ellen White. So he read up, and he realized that he needs to be vegetarian. But this is, of course, difficult because the stews and everything else you know, they normally have meat in it. So he decides he's going to make granola. So he makes his own stock of granola, and he's carrying this granola around with him. And he will then just ask for a bit of milk and, and some eggs or whatever they have there, and he will eat his granola. So he's eating granola three times a day. He's walking hard, all right, from place to place. Um, 
is delivering the books. He refuses their evening meal and asks for milk and goes and eats his granola. So he's happily eating his granola. I mean, the diet's very boring, but that's all he's got. And then he reads in the Health Reformer magazine that, you know, dairy products are perhaps not the best. So he says, oh boy, okay, well, I'll just have to eat my granola with water. So now he's eating his granola with water. So he's only eating granola three times a day with water. And then he reads that Omar says that a great sin is overeating and that most of people eat more, way more than what they should. He says, oh my. And most people would do well with two meals a day. So he says, okay, well, you know, I've got to cut down here. So he cuts down to two meals a day of granola with water. And he's selling health books, of course, as well. And not too long after that, the man collapses. And he's sick. And they have to send out for someone to come and collect him and carry him back on a stretcher. What did he do wrong? And he was only applying all the health principles that Ellen White mentioned. Right? Okay. Context. Over here. You're ready to practice. All right. Go for it. You've remembered the steps we went over. Your friend tells you this. They've been reading Ellen White and they said to you, did you know that you should not be purchasing bicycles? All right. So turn to your friend next to you and try to figure that one out. All right, I put that up to try and help you. All right? I put up our steps over here. See if you can apply that to the bicycles. You should not be persisting. Oh, the steps? Okay, I can read them again. What does the text say? Keywords, immediate context, biblical principle, and the application. All right? So, apply that to you should not be riding, uh, you should not be purchasing bicycles. Okay, anyone? Let's go forward again. Anyone ready to tell us about our bicycle problem? Yes. Okay. You say the cost of bicycles was very, very high. Good point. But before we do anything else, let's do the steps. Let's do the steps. What's step number one? First, what does the text say? Did anybody bother to look this up? And what do you want to tell me? She didn't actually say you should not be. Thank you. She never said that. She doesn't say you should not be purchasing bicycles. What she does say is that people were wasting money on bicycles and other things. She mentions other things along with bicycles instead of donating that money to further the work. Okay, you are making applications, which is good. <laughs> but she doesn't say you should not be, riding, uh, be purchasing bicycles. What she says is you would not be purchasing bicycles. We'll, I can, I'll put up the quote right now on the board. But she says you would not. Now that makes a big difference. Should and would make a big difference. All right. So you see how 90% of you were caught already. 
beware, beware, go and look it up. Because how are you going to get the context? You're just going to assume or you're going to remember stuff you heard somewhere? Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a little bit of legwork, but take the effort. Take the time. Okay, so first we find out what she said. Second, we look at key words. What's a key word in that? Purchasing and bicycle. Okay, purchasing hasn't really changed its meaning, but we can look more at buying in a moment. Cost that you've brought out here. But let's look at bicycle. All right. This is a bicycle from the same year that this quote comes from. Those, you can't see it, unfortunately, but here in front, do you notice anything about that bike? Does it look like the one you have? Thank you. Who said that? It doesn't have brakes. It has no brakes. Okay. The first bicycles to come out did not have brakes. That will make that, thank you, they were dangerous. People were falling off the bicycles left, right, and center and breaking bones. There were also no roads. Remember, they dirt ruts that, that wagons ride around on. Now you're trying to ride a brakeless bicycle on these roads. Actually, we have the bicycles to thank that roads improved because so many people fell and were seriously injured with these bicycles that they actually had to start investing in making better roads in the towns. All right, so bicycle is not exactly the same thing that you think of in your possession right now. Not having brakes makes an interesting point. It's a little bit different from the bicycle that, that, you, that you ride. All right, next step we need to look at context. So let's look at the context. All right, this is part of a letter. This is part of a letter that Ellen White is writing. She's writing it to the brethren in Battle Creek. All right, where's Ellen White? Anyone know? 1894? Australia. What's happening in Australia? A school is starting in Australia. This will be Avondale. Australia is in an economic depression. Money is very tight to come by, extremely tight to come by. But these new converts are desperate for a Christian education. So they have purchased the land, and Ellen White is living in a tent. She's penning this from a tent. She's living in a tent on the land at Avondale, as is everyone else. They have students and teachers already there, but they have no buildings. So the students are working all day building the buildings. And at night, you know, they are trying to conduct classes in a tent. Right? That's how desperately they want an education. Ellen White, who's already an elderly lady, is riding the delivery wagon down to the depot to pick up wood that's needed for, for the building site to spare an able-bodied man from that job. So that's how much everyone's putting into this. I mean, we won't even talk about the diet that they're eating at this time. All right? It's, 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 excuse me? You can read it just above and around the letter. So 
This is the situation in Australia. These people are desperate to build their school. They are not getting financial help. They've appealed to financial help for financial help from America, but they are told, you know, there isn't money. And the next thing they hear is that the latest craze has hit Battle Creek. Everyone needs a bicycle. Why do they need a bicycle? Because it's good for your health. Don't, don't mind all the broken bones you get, but this exercise is extremely good for your health. So you need a bicycle for your health. Let's move on for context. She will tell you in here, uh, in the next one I'll flip it out, but she tells you that bicycles, and you could look it up as well, bicycles are costing about $100 for a bike. Okay, not the end of the world. Oh yes, that is three to six months full salary. Three to six months full salary. That's not with any food or anything else, all right? So multiply, I don't know, how much would you like to take for an average blue-collar working salary here? Multiply that by six. That's the cost of a bicycle. People are taking out mortgages to buy a bike. No one has $100. You have to go to the bank and take out a loan to buy a bicycle. And so people are indebted. You take out a loan of that sum, you're indebted for the next good few years to pay off your bicycle. And everybody's doing that. The brethren in Australia are going, huh? They can't help us, but they can all take out loans and buy bicycles in Australia, uh, in, in Battle Creek. So she pens this letter to them. This comes out of it. She says, mm, let me stand on this side and read, then maybe my voice will carry over for, for the people over there. How is it with my brethren and sisters in America? How much do you practice self-denial in order that you may show liberality to the needy cause of God at this time? We're doing our work here under great pressure for want of the very money that many of the members of our churches are expending upon their own fancies in pleasing and gratifying themselves. If they had accepted the testimonies that I had borne to them concerning the great want in these regions beyond, they would not be found expending one dollar in, in following the example of those who are multiplying, and comes in an interesting other quote, who are multiplying pictures of themselves and their families. You would, you would not be purchasing bicycles, which you could do without and would be receiving the blessing of God in this is the excuse to buy a bicycle, in ex exercising your physical powers in a less expensive way. Okay, remember I said that every statement she makes is amplifying a biblical principle? Now you've got to look for that. Sometimes, very often, she gives you the text right there. You can look around. She's made it easy for you. In this time, she's made it easy for you. She's told you what to read. Read Isaiah 58. Sometimes she doesn't tell you, and you'll have to do a little bit more digging to find the biblical principle that she's bringing out. But it's always there. It's always there. And this is exciting, where you see how Ellen White, far from contradicting Scripture, she magnifies Scripture. She applies it in a more modern context, this context of the bicycles over here. She goes on here 
to explain about using, using this money as Isaiah 58 speaks about you know, all this fasting and all these other religious rites that people were engaged in where God says the true fast I want is sharing your bread with the needy, clothing the naked. This is the kind of stuff you do. When you do this, then healing will arise, the text tells us. So she is magnifying that particular biblical principle of getting your own health through helping others. Through helping others. All right. How can I apply the bicycles to today? Cars. Yeah. Cars. Cars All right. Expensive stuff. Special stuff? Expensive stuff. Expense. Expensive stuff. Okay. Going without things that we can put that money into the Lord's work. Yes. That we could maybe trim and use that money for something else. Okay, good. Can you see something here? When you do this exercise and follow through with it, it enhances your Bible study. It doesn't take away from it. And it opens an avenue where the Holy Spirit can speak to you personally about something very personal. I did this with a group of young adults. We did this. And... The guy blew me away, one of them afterwards. He said, aha, I've got it. I don't like it, but I've got it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. I am, I am a tech freak. If anything's coming out new, I'm lining up outside the store several hours before. So I can be the first in to buy it. I budget for it. I plan for it. So any new th you know, Apple Watch or whatever's coming out, you bet I'm going to get it immediately. That's me. I love it. It's my hobby. And I've been doing this now for a while. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I really don't need to have the latest gadget. My other works just as well. But I do like having them. So you know what I'm going to do? I am going to wait one year. I will have the original price that I was prepared to pay for that. And after one year, what I buy it for, the difference, I am sending for a special mission offering. Amen. That was the application for him. Now, do you see how personally God can use Ellen White's writings? That was never something I could dream up and tell him to do. No, that's between God and him as he opened and looked for the biblical principle. Do this with her writings, and God will open things to you that you've never seen before. There is treasures in this, even in odd statements like, you should not be buying a bicycle. Or in this case, you would not, would be the more correct quote. Do you see, is anything that Ellen White says irrelevant? No. Now, circumstances have changed. Bicycles are cheap. They're good means of transport. They're relatively safe. They have brakes. Our roads are better conditions. I think it's a wise use of money in many times to buy a bicycle to get from A to B. So the circumstances have changed. Has the principle changed? 
Has the application changed? Yes. How we apply it will change. The principle has not changed. This is the beauty of God's messenger. This is the beauty of it. All right, we have plenty more examples, you know, like cosmetics, you know, that can kill you, um, and plenty of other stuff. But, and I wanted to use the selfies. There's another one with selfies. Well, she doesn't use the word selfies, but yeah. But we don't have time for that. But there's very, very relevant stuff in there. Very relevant. Okay, just some final ones over here. Don't neglect your Bible study. You see how your Bible study connects with Ellen White. A lot of people want to take the easy route and let Ellen White do their chewing for them. She doesn't chew your food for you. Okay? She shows you how you can do it. You've seen. This was a lot of work if you're going to do it properly. This is a lot of work. And you've got to go back to your Bible and look for the biblical principle. So don't, look, I have nothing against the morning devotions, the Ellen White estate. You know, we send them out. They're really nice to have. But don't become dependent on her to spoon feed you. That's not what she wanted. Dig deep. She's the lesser light that leads to the greater light. Okay. So don't use her as an excuse to not dig in. Don't be a sensational reader. Don't look for the most surprising things she said to share with other people. Right? That's just be a broad room. Look for all the quotes on a topic, as we mentioned beforehand over here. And don't read on one topic to the exclusion of everything else. You have very unhealthy Adventists who like to do this. They decide that health is their thing. So that's all they ever read about is health. Okay? Or they decide something else is their thing. Read broadly as she wrote broadly. Okay? That's an important principle. If, I mean, if you only read Bible texts from your Bible about hellfire or the damnation of the wicked, how are you going to feel after a while? Or God's judgment, put it in there. Are you going to feel that it's getting hot? You read it balanced, okay? You read it balanced. Let's, let's do the same thing over there. We have reached the end, but I will leave you with some sites that are very helpful. Okay, we'll take questions afterwards because some people need to run. So here are some sites that are very helpful. Download the app. This has just come out. It's like four days old. EGW Writings 2. If you have EGW Writings, get EGW Writings 2 as an app. Download it. It will be very useful to you across all platforms. Oh, there's plenty of new features. Yeah, it's four or five days old. They've, yes. They update. Yeah. So make sure you the EGW Writings 2 had a lot of bugs. That's a little older, but it had a lot of bugs. So there we go. Great. And thank you, everyone. Let's stand and close with prayer. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this afternoon that we could take a little time to explore some of this marvelous gift that you've given us. We thank you that you used a frail, shy teenager to, to bring us so much hope, so much comfort, to bring us closer to you and your word. And we are thankful. Please teach us how to use this gift and how to share it. 
that we may always uphold Jesus our Savior. For we ask this in His name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.